good to have the Schmitz here today. Usually they are traveling and they will begin to travel next week again until the year 2028. Take your Bibles, please, if you would, and this is going to be a start, but let's look at it. If you could go to Hebrews 11.6. Now, I readily admit that I'm going to be giving you a lot this morning, and I believe it's necessary. I'm praying that we hear God speaking to us in the situation that we are in right now. Listen. The world is feeling its effects of unbelief. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for whatever. They're looking for things. They're looking for security. It's amazing how we see our nation crumbling morally and the world crumbling, looking for someone to help it. And we have Bibles in our lap. We know how it's going to end, but we also understand who the answer is today. But we have some things that we need today. And it's all about belief. It's trusting. Truly worthy is the Lamb. Do you believe that God is worthy of our trust? Let's let's look at that because we're going to need to understand the importance of that in the days to come. As this week turns into next month, which turns into next year as the Lord tarries, we're going to find out that people will be panicking, people will be crying out, what do we do because of what's taking place? Well, God is worthy, but we need to know exactly how to see him. Hebrews 11, once again, let's just look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now now listen to that carefully. Why? Because he that believeth, for, for he, excuse me, for he that cometh to God, must first of all believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes. Again, we've got lots to see. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be lifted up at this moment. Lord, we have to have our eyes on you. If we get our eyes on each other, we're going to be disappointed. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. We preach a Savior that is always with us, Spirit that was sent and is our comforter. Lord, we have all we need in you. But now we need to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would take this word and you would give us some points of foundation wherein we can stand, not in man's wisdom, but in your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, Once again, as we started out last Sunday, we're talking about true belief. In other words, faith, belief, that you can rest everything, everything on. Not man's wisdom, but as we were taught by the Lord himself, it is written, okay? Thus saith the Lord. Looking at this verse, there's a couple of things that we wind up finding out. It's possible to do something for God, but you don't please him. 
Now hear that again. It's possible to do something for God and not please him. How it needs to be done is by faith, belief, trusting him for it all. The verse goes on to say that without faith, literally apart from faith, destitute of faith, it's impossible to please God at all is what that says. Because he that cometh to God. Now, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, say amen. All right. So we are here as, as Tim and Megan saying, we're here to show that he is worthy. He's worthy. So we come in as worshipers. That's what that means. For he that cometh, not just walks up and goes, okay, God. That one that comes worshiping must believe. And the tense in the verb there means once for all. Now, there's growth that takes place. But we recognize in the study that our God desires that this question, pow, once for all, must believe that God is. He's what? He's the true self-existing God. That's what the scripture says. He's the source of all being. This is our God, the one that said, let there be light, and there was. Why? Because he's the creator. And so much more. That he is God and that he is. Now, this is interesting. Look again, if you would please, at verse 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. There's two Greek words that are used here for the word is. The first one simply means existence. That he is what? He is God. He exists. He is there. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is the creator. He is the first and the last. He was, he is, and he shall be forever. But then the second word is a Greek word that speaks not merely of, of, of God as a rewarder, but he will prove himself to be a rewarder to the person that gives the diligence to seek him out. He tells us in his word, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He is a rewarder. Because see, the fact is, the reward is God himself. You understand? That, that's, that's, what we, that's who we need to know. Now that cry goes out. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God, but how many literally billions of people have looked into the sky and go, wow, no rain tonight. And that's all they see. That's all. There are stars out there that speak him. And when we go that direction, he says, you keep going there. You'll find me. This, uh, this last week, uh, my wife and I got to go back up to Downeyville. We love Downeyville. I started going there 61 years ago next summer. I was eight years old and uh, something like that. And uh, anyway, who remembers after you turn 70? You know? But you know, it, it was really, this was, this was our family. Other families went fishing. We went gold panning. It was a lot of fun. It really was. We'd go up. There's a campground called Union Flats, just on the other side of Downeyville. And we would, we would go gold panning. In fact, my dad, uh, he, he built himself. He and a couple of guys put together a pump, and they would literally vacuum the bottom of the river and shoot it through a sluice box. I was 11 years old when I built my first sluice box. But I also remember... The, the old metal pan that I had. And I remember these guys that were up there. I, I mean, 
we, we're out panning one time and here comes a guy, I'm telling you, he's gotta be 400 years old. He comes in and he's got the mule behind him and he's got all his packs there. That's how he lives. He's living under the stars. He's, that's, that's his life. He doesn't have a truck. He's got a mule. But they taught me, okay, the rain comes through, the water shoots through, and it's bringing out all, all this soot and, and, and the heavy black sand and the gold that comes with it. How many of you have ever been gold panning? Okay, great. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you get behind the rocks. You dig down. You don't just look and go, I don't see any gold. Nothing shiny. There's a nickel. That's it. No, you get down. When, when the water starts to go down in the river, you get down and you dig underneath. And, and then you put it, you run it through you know, whatever, you, you want to separate everything out, what you don't want, you don't, unless, unless the nugget's that big and then you retire, you know. But anyway, so you get that and the, you start working it. You know what I'm talking about. Because you learn, you, you start seeing the black sand. And then when you see the black sand, what do you see? You see the gold. But you've had to, you've had to work it. You had to separate everything else. You had to let the water carry off the stuff that was lighter, get rid of the, you know, the rocks and the, and the bigger stuff. But as you're working it, here it comes. See, that's what you do. You get God's word and you let the Bible interpret itself and you seek him out. It speaks of God, but what does it speak? Listen, number one, belief, faith, according to this verse, has an object. The object, this is important, folks. The object of faith is God himself. You do not have, and we've already mentioned this a little bit, you don't put faith in faith. That doesn't make sense. You don't put faith, you know, you just got to have faith. No, that's, that's ridiculous nonsense from the world. The object if, is faith. hearing even Christians focusing on the faith. No, listen, he's worthy. He's the one that died for you. The focus is on him. The wicked one, he'll try to get your focus on anything or anybody else but God. Amen? It's the truth. This is spiritual warfare. If you boil the fat out of it, what it comes down to is this. Satan will take any activity in the world, any situation, including war on the other side of the planet, and next thing you know, it's panic in River City, and what's gonna happen? And you know, there's people talking about World War III you know, my God has everything in hand. He knows the end from the beginning. Like we've said before, and it's not original with me, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? That's the truth. He is working his plan out. Oh, did you read the news? Yeah, I caught a little glimpse of it. God's still at it. And he's got everything in hand. But there are some things that we need to notice. And it has nothing to do with what's going on here. Get settled who the object of our faith is. But then also, there's something else that we can focus on. 
I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. This really struck me, especially this last week, as I was studying for this. Look at Revelation 4. We're in, the, the scene is in heaven. John is writing what's being revealed to him. And in verse 8, you read this. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, listen to the next three words. Holy, holy, holy. It really struck me. You know, to understand that while everything is going on here, God is high and lifted up, up there. And he is being worshiped up there. And we need to understand the God that is exalted in our Bibles is the God that is in charge here. And what they're saying about him up there is this. He is holy. I want to give you a few thoughts. This is just, this came to, you know, take it for what it's worth. The holiness of God does not contend with worldliness. We're dealing with worldliness. We're dealing with people that are, they're going after sin. But hey, when it comes to our God, the holiness of God does not contend with worldliness. It obliterates it. It does away with it completely. That's what our God has done. See, the cross of Christ does not compete with the world. It condemns it. Let me say that again. The cross of Christ does not compete with the world. It condemns it. Only the God of heaven can destroy the works of the devil. We have a God that is taking that which is the worst in this life, and he has not only overcome it, given God's people victory over it, but he is condemning the sin, the wickedness in this world. The politicians, the pundits, the entertainers, and common people are not getting away with sin. It's not just the murderers that are going to pay. It's all those who have thumbed their nose at Christ and what he has done and just continued living in sin. That's what's taking place. The greatest heartbreak of our day is that billions of people are ignorant of God's gift of salvation in Christ. And so many of us who profess him are content with a shallow knowledge. See, we're talking about knowing him. He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Now, he's the God that has overcome sin, victory over the grave. Praise God for that. He has told us, listen, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We set the pan aside, as it were. We're, 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 not, we're not listening. We're distracted even now. And our God is saying that doesn't have to be. Our faith has an object. We need to settle our hearts, settle our minds, bring every thought into captivity. Listen to me. Because if we can't get beyond this, your Christianity will never, never satisfy. It takes absolute surrender to the one who absolutely surrendered so that you and I could be free from sin. Faith has an object. I want to do this. I'd like for us to go. I want you to turn to 2 Peter. Excuse me, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
I'm not gonna preach from it. I'm just gonna read this. And I want us to just glean from this. Listen to Peter as he's writing those that were alive at that time, but also he's writing to us. Now, again, just listen carefully. Verse 2, 2 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter. He says to us, as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop there and remind you, if you're a child of God, this is being written to you. It's being written to me. Just listen. Let's continue. Verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, as for you, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and, you see the word there, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." In that passage right there, you see the transition of what we see in Hebrews 11.6. You start out with this. Faith, belief, has an object. But secondly, faith has an activity. The activity in the people that God has saved. Go back to Hebrews 11. Go back to Hebrews 11 and go all the way. It's the Faith Hall of Fame. We're now going to be talking about, well, you'll see, Moses. Look at verse 29. Now, remember, when Moses was approached by God, basically, his, 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 his three responses was this. Here am I, who am I, what have I? He is called to go to Pharaoh, free my people, and they come out. Now, again, faith has what? Activity. Watch this. Look at verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Who was that? Israel, right? As by dry land, which the Egyptians, essaying to do, were drowned. In other words, the Egyptians tried it, and it was surfs up big time. Here came the water. But Israel went out, and we read that. Wow, that's and it is interesting. It's fascinating to read through. 
But let's, uh, let, let, let's think about a little bit. Now, again, here's Moses. Here am I. <laughs> Who am I? Now, you get to wondering, did, did Moses think some of these things through? Well, no, because God was showing him a little bit at a time, but he had the general thought of what was going to take place. He's taking Israel out of Egypt. It's estimated that there were two to three million Israelites at that time. You ever been in a city of over a million people? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. At the time that I was growing up there, the valley was kind of small. It only had a million people in it. Then it got bigger, and it's still getting bigger. Stop and think about this. Moses led the people out. They've got to cross the Red Sea. If they went just double file, the line would be 800 miles long. It would take 30 days, excuse me, 35 days and nights for them to walk through. They did it in one night. There had to be a space in the Red Sea three miles wide so they could walk 5,000 abreast and go across. And all of a sudden, we get to thinking, wow, this is really something. There was a quartermaster in the army. Dave, you'd love this. This started figuring out just exactly what did Moses need for these people. Moses would have had to have 1,500 tons of food every day to feed these people. To bring that much food each day, two freight trains, each a mile long would be required. Now, how's your faith in God right now? You get to envisioning that. The question is, how big is your God? The Jews, the Israelites, were finding out. See, that's what we need to find out. Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. They were out in the desert. They would have to have firewood to use in cooking the food. That would take 4,000 tons of wood. And oh, by the way, a few more freight trains to bring the wood. And they were at this for 40 years in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness they'd have to have water. Sometime they got to bathe, they got to drink water, they've got to wash a few dishes. According to, again, the quartermaster, it would take 11 million gallons of water each day. Freight train with tank cars, 1,800 miles long to bring the water. Did God do it? See, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But now, wait a minute. How was the faith with the Israelites? Was it strong faith? Okay, I'm with you. Each time they camped, it would take an area two-thirds the size of Rhode Island 750 square miles. Think of it. He's moving a nation, sometimes daily. Now, here's the question. Here's Moses at the beginning. <laughs> Here am I. Who am I? What have I? The Lord said, I'll supply your need. Did Moses have all this figured out when he started out? No. No, but what does the Bible say? By faith, Moses. By faith, Moses. 
You think Moses grew a little bit in his faith? What did it cost him? God's the one that supplied. Now stop and consider. What is it that we need to grow in? How many of you would like to grow a little bit more in faith? So here's the question. How many of us are willing? How many of us are willing to cross the sea, as it were? How many of us are willing to be into a position where we can't see where the supply is coming? How many of us, when we think of the future, we're concerned because we see freedoms being lost, a nation crumbling, and yet, the angels are still crying out around the throne in heaven, holy, holy, holy. Stop and think of that. I said, I've got you going places. Go to the book of James, if you would please. James chapter two. Look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. <laughs> show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe, and in fact, they tremble. They tremble at the thought of that God. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou that thou seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It literally says that verb there means shown to be justified. In other words, faith came and as faith grew, the works came out. And so that was proof. There is faith, there's works. The works are looking back at the faith and saying, God put it there. Now, we're gonna draw this together in just a minute. Please bear with me. This is important. To exercise that faith that we see, you must be willing to walk beyond what you can see in the flesh. This is what happens every time we have two-minute warning. We pray that things are going to work. We pray that people are going to stay well. God's going to work. Tonight, we'll be praying through the list of names of 160-plus men that are coming to this. We'll be going through that list. Tomorrow night, Roger Whiteside says, you know, this is what we need to do, and I encourage you to join us, 6 o'clock, we have taken the time before to pray over all these chairs right here, up in the balcony. We pray on the platform, go next door and pray in the fellowship hall and the schoolroom and in the kitchen. And then we will go through those 10 things that Tim gave us years ago. This is what I want you to pray. It'll take a good bit of time. It might even take an hour. But knowing what God has done before, it's worth it. You see, faith has an object. We know our God, but are we willing to work the pan? Faith has activity. Activity will bring us not just to a Sunday morning service where we sit there and we listen and, and, and we kind of, you know, judge how the preacher's doing. 
What do you think? Well, you know, he turned 70 now. I can sense he's really slowing down. You know, the hair's getting lighter. You know, the hair's getting thinner, you know. What do you think? I'm going to increase your salary, buddy. I don't know about the guy sitting next to you. Listen, we must be willing to go beyond what we can know in the flesh. And what we see, listen, what we see as possible. Spurgeon said this, faith is the Samsonian lock. You know Samson and the story of Samson. They chopped the locks of his hair off and he lost his power. Faith is the Samsonian lock of the Christian. Cut it off and you may put out his eyes and he can do nothing. When faith struggles in the believer, now we're not done with this thought, so please hang in there with me. When faith struggles in the believer, the works suffer. Hudson Taylor said this, it's not a great faith that we need, and this is key. It's faith in a great God. That's what we need. Now, having said all that, I'm taking you to where we started. Go please back to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. We started a week ago this morning with this. Mark chapter 9. Here's a desperate father. My son, Lord, please, if you can, cure him, heal him, do whatever. And Jesus' response, look at verse 23, was this. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Remember this? And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I want you to take note first, that plea is in earnest. He means it. This is a dad whose gut is killing him. His heart, everything. Jesus, please, we need your help. He was drop dead serious. You know, we look around what we've got in our families, in our church family, and in our nation, and there are spots where we are drop dead earnest. Lord, please, we need your help. When it comes to the dad here, I mean, you stop and consider what he was seeing, folks. He was seeing satanic work in his family, his son. Lord, please. He was grieved beyond words what was taking place. Are we listening? You know, when, when you hear this, the most hopeless mindset someone can have is, well, you know, it's, there's no way out. No, he had faith. He had faith. The faith was small. It got him to the disciples. Guess who else's faith was small? The disciples. And finally, he made it to the Lord. But have you noticed something? I I, I want you to go to verse 19. It was a struggle. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, speaking of those around him, his disciples included, how how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. He fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. That was be hard to see. I mean, face it. Now go to verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, 
thou dumb and deaf spirit. I charge thee, come out of him, enter no more into him. And the spirit cried out, and he rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he's dead. It didn't work. Uh Uh-uh. Verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Listen, hey, struggling faith, but the success was complete. He came, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, the question is, what is the meaning of verse 24? Help thou mine unbelief. Don't leave me yet. You've got to stick with me to the end. There's several thoughts that can come from this verse. Lord, I believe, but but I'm dealing with, with unbelief in me. I, I, I can sense it. Now, how many of you, you've gone to the Lord and there's faith, but you know in your flesh, there's a lot of questions that are coming and it's ripping your gut. How many of you have ever been there? We're right there. And so you know what we wind up doing? We wind up condemning ourselves because our sinful flesh is trying to make a way in and go, ha, no way. But this man came and he was surrendering and he came in, I mean, absolutely confessing it all. Lord, here it is. You can think of it this way. Lord, I believe you can. Help me believe, listen, help me believe that you will. God can do anything. But you know what we struggle with? Lord, will you do it? That's why I said what I said last week. If there's anything that we need to do, we need to start out with this. We need to be praying. We need to be, as the Lord said, and teaching us to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. It's all about him. It's not about us and building our nation or whatever. It's his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. What's the next phrase? Thy what? Can we really, can we really pray that? I've got my own ideas. You know, How many of you agree that it's a good thing you can't get your own way all the time and be God because if you did, you'd make a mess of things? I would. There would be several places on the planet. If I was God, if the Lord said, you know what, I'm gonna give you the power for 24 hours. By the time it was over, there would be several places on this planet that would be smoldering. Quite a few places, actually. We'd have to be rebuilding Washington, D.C., No, but she, you see, I don't, I don't, I had to be reminded of this in my devotions this morning. Lord, I need to trust you. You're going to take care of things. Oh, praise God. Look at the speaker of the house that we have. And you know what? He's a good guy. He's a Christian. I heard a testimony of somebody that was in his Sunday school class, but he's not the answer. You know who the answer is? You know who he uses? I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. That means we don't get caught up in all kind of silliness coming along in a podcast or on a television thing or in the news or whatever. It's thy will be done. That's how we pray. What is the message of the comment that is made here. We need to recognize that there are times we deal with what is called being a double-minded individual. And the Lord is here to help us not be that. I've been 
there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Familiar passage. You need to see it again. If you haven't, you need to underline it. Look at verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody said this, a stronghold is based upon patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting that are deeply ingrained in a person's personality. And that is true. This is why we need what Paul said in the book of Romans, we need the renewing of the mind. God's word needs to get in your head, your heart, my head, my heart, and do some house cleaning. We just did some cleaning here yesterday. For those that were here and they did it, there were some places that needed to be cleaned. It was wonderful. This carpet got this, this carpet has been here since the Eisenhower administration. But you know what? It got cleaned good. It'll get replaced pretty soon. But meanwhile, it got cleaned. We need a cleansing. How many of you have ever had, now, now this is, please, again, bear with me. How many of you have wound up in a circumstance or a situation and when something comes along that irks you, rubs you the wrong way, do whatever, you automatically respond in the flesh. Think about the guy that cut you off while you were driving here this morning. Here, here I am. I, I, I got a wife and three little kids. We're down in the L.A. area, and I grew up there. I'm, we're on the 405. And a guy did something really stupid, and I decided I was going to see how fast that car we had could go because I wanted to catch up to, with him. And all of a sudden, I find myself, my wife and three little kids, going down the freeway 85 miles an hour, trying to catch him. You, you talk about dumb as a brick. What was I going to do when I caught up with him? You know, seriously, I mean, that's, that's called stupid. But that was my flesh. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands raised for any of you others that have done that before. But the point is this. We need a thorough cleansing, the washing of water by the word, so that we think Biblically, we're almost done. Growth knocks down unbelief. Real, Bible-based, Holy Spirit-guided, life-changing growth. And it's that growth that is needed. Belief is a growing thing that needs room to expand. Abraham believed God. But if you read God's word, you watch him grow. Moses, same thing. This father, he prayed for help with his unbelief. Listen, there is no better place to take your unbelief except to the one, other than the one, who gave you belief in the first place. God knows what you struggle with. He knows what I struggle with. But we might wind up having to do some personal house cleaning. Verse 28, there in Mark. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we, we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. The spiritual warfare shows us that, you know, there's times we have to go desperately. Lord, 
I see it. The object and the activity. But mine needs to grow in both areas. Lord, I believe. I trusted you as Savior, but I need to be trusting you for these things. I believe, Lord. Help thou mine unbelief. Here's the conclusion. Don't despair over what you don't have. Use what you have. The Lord said, if you have faith as grain of a mustard seed, that does it. You see, it's a little bit of faith in a big, big God. Don't let Satan sidetrack you from the battle. One of my favorite passages out of Romans 15. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May that process take place that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's much more than a two-minute warning that's coming in our life. There are things that are looking ominous down the road to those that don't know God, but to those who are growing in him, who are learning him. We recognize this. Boy, Lord, I can't wait to see what you do next. I can't wait to see it. Lord, I believe Help thou my unbelief.